Hello, Canucks fans, and welcome into episode 101 of the Canucks Speakeasy Podcast. I'm Pete. And I'm Doug. Doug, let's start things off with the game play. The Canucks ventured into Carolina only to lose 4-1 in an afternoon game. Bo Horvat had the lone goal for the Canucks. How about this? The Canucks win an afternoon game on the road. That's a pretty rare happening, it feels like. And what's more surprising, or maybe not surprising, but just very happy to see Petey, two goals, kind of get himself going. The Canucks then found themselves in Nashville and came out with a 3-1 victory, getting their record back to 500. Your goal scorers were Brock Besser, Yuho Lamico, and Elias Pettersson continuing his goal production. Well, if that was uh, Bruce Boudreaux's week, we could say we won the week, right? Yeah, I mean, that's a really good mentality to have is, you know, you just take it week by week. And if you've won more games for the week than lost, then you've won the week. I like I like that mentality, something that Boudreaux pretty much said right when he became coach. What do you think overall of that five game road trip? I think they played better down the stretch. I think they were a team that had been off for a long period of time. And I think that Russ showed. And I think as the games, you know, they got later into the road trip. The Canucks played better. Petey, obviously, you know, we'll talk about him a little bit in more depth later in the episode. But overall, I thought the team played better and better as the more games and the farther into the road trip they got. I agree. I think uh, coming away from that road trip two and three, I'm pretty happy with that. And we're going to talk uh, all things Canucks coming up on this episode. But first things first, how's things over in Toronto, Doug? Yeah, it's it's extremely cold. Uh, we had a crazy crazy snowfall on monday it was uh i don't know i felt like it snowed like two and a half feet in less than 10 hours it was it was incredible woke up monday morning and the entire city was covered walking out of our airbnb to try to get to the building where uh we're doing this little project that no one had walked in the snow yet so literally like we're the trailblazers walking through the snow literally like over my knees just trying to walk through trudge through the sidewalk to get to work and then yeah i mean all the trade workers that were meant to be at the building obviously couldn't get in uh so just shoveled a walkway a couple of walkways in the front shoveled the back so the next day hopefully when the tradies could get in they could use the car park garage Uh, that sounds like a pretty fun and exciting experience out in ontario yeah, it, it, Monday was crazy. It was insane. And even the Tuesday, um, it was still pretty hectic out there. Um, and now it's just gotten like incredibly cold again. It's like, I think, minus 24, minus 26 with the wind chill. Uh, yeah, I, I guess this BC boy's soft for these uh, Ontario winters. And today I biked out to Trout Lake after work. It was lovely. It was, I think, 11 degrees. Um, still got a nice little sunset over here. It's still beautiful on the on the west coast here this is much more the january weather i am a fan of i guess you didn't go to buffalo for that football game then after all did you no and thank god i didn't because the yeah the patriots got absolutely whooped by the bills um i'm not surprised to be honest uh i think the bills are a better team overall the patriots offense well they're you know i like mac jones rookie year i thought he did a lot but they're still not quite there. There's still a lot to work out for the offense. And the defense, unfortunately, the Patriots defense just didn't show up that game. I mean, and kudos to, to Jake Allen, or not Jake Allen, pardon me, um, Josh Allen and the Buffalo team. Uh, they had a great game plan, and Josh Allen was amazing. Like, he played a great game, uh, and they were the better team, and they deserved to win. So, yeah, congratulations, Buffalo. Weird, weird wildcard week in the NFL overall. Uh, we'll, we'll get to the Canucks in a little bit here, but uh, just a quick recap on the NFL situation there as well. It, not a lot of close games, really. Out of the six, uh, there's really only two that were kind of close. It was kind of a kind of a weird wildcard weekend. Uh, the uh, the Niners-Cowboys game and the Bengals-Raiders games were about the only two close ones. The rest were, were not even. Yeah, that Cowboys-Niners game, it honestly felt like neither one of those teams really wanted to win that game um and somehow the 49ers stumbled their way to a victory 
the Bengals and Joe Burrow and Jamar Chase, I mean, they look like they're going to be a really good team in the future here, and I don't think they're going to go all the way. Some people are predicting them to beat the Titans this weekend. Uh, I'm very much interested to see, watch that game. That's going to be one of the games I'm highlighting to watch this weekend. And, yeah, I mean, uh, I'm a Patriots fan through and through, but uh, I want to see the Bengals uh, make a little bit of a run here. I really do. Well, there's only seven games left in the season now, and the NHL is rescheduled about 95 games. So the calendar is filling up for the once empty Olympic break. We're starting to see games in there. The Canucks uh, did pretty well out of all of it with uh, with the schedule. They're not getting too messed around by things. So it's nice for them to have a decent looking February coming up. Yeah, I honestly haven't even seen some of the rescheduled games officially. I know it's funny. I actually had my aunt back in Vancouver text me today asking if uh, I had access to the Leafs game. I guess the Leafs game has been moved to February, um, which I think it was meant to be in December. And I I said, no, sadly, we had actually sold that game out back in October. Um, Yeah, so that was the first person that had said to me that some of the games had been rescheduled um, and I still haven't seen all of it, but I'm glad to hear that the schedule makers were kind of kind to the Canucks because I know in years past, the Canucks have always had the short end of the stick when it comes to the schedule. It looks good. It looks good. And of course, the Leafs game is still at four o'clock because we wouldn't have it any other way out here. Uh, apparently um the outro track last week i edited the episode so that was mine uh, just quick little shout out to a band from new zealand that i used to listen to all the time discovered when i was living in australia a band called salmonella dub i worked with a buddy who this guy, I swear, he was like the Aussie version of me. He had the same birthday. He had the same nut allergy. And he was just this tall, lanky, white dude who knew more about dub and reggae than anyone I'd ever met. Uh, he introduced me to Salmonella Dub. And I saw them a couple times down in Australia. And that track was called Plate Tectonics, uh, which is also fitting, considering everything that was happening in that part of the world this week with Plate Tectonics as well. So... Anyways, if you want to check that out, that is on our playlist as well on Spotify. Salmonella dub, plate tectonics, also called Farty Boom. Yeah, man, it was a really good track. Uh, I, I listened to some Salmonella dub and I was exposed to them when I was in New Zealand back in 2009, 2008. Um, yeah, I've always liked Salmonella dub. I'm not the biggest reggae guy. To be honest, like I'm not the biggest reggae fan. Some of it I like. I just find reggae sort of like Primus. You know, it's good for an hour for me, and then it just all starts to kind of sound the same. But uh, no, Salmonella dub's really cool. I don't even think I could listen to Primus for an hour. Reggae I could listen to all day, but Primus for an hour, that uh, that gets kind of tricky after a while. I saw Primus live once. It was a weird show. It was at a music festival. I think they were the last band that day, and uh, it was weird. Wonderful and weird, but uh, you, you can only take them in some small doses hey you can follow us on twitter i'm at pete underscore gas the podcast is at canucks speak you can give me a follow on twitter at doug then and as pete was mentioning about the playlist and the song that he put on the playlist last week uh we've got this playlist on spotify it's the canucks speakeasy outro playlist another funky jam will be added to that playlist at the end of this episode so stay tuned The big news out of Vancouver today, today being January the 20th, so we're recording before the homestand begins at 50% capacity, is the Canucks hiring of Rachel Dory, formerly from the Hockey News, formerly with the New Jersey Devils. This is uh, someone who's been in the Vancouver spotlight before and uh, has come up in possible additions to the team before, but the news seemed to happen very quickly today. I know Rick Dollywell put some things out there early this morning and uh, by this afternoon it, it was done and Rachel Dory comes into the Canucks analytics department uh, Doug what are your thoughts on this hire I mean to be honest I don't know a ton about her I know she worked for elite prospects for a while and I think she wrote for the athletic as well for a period of time and like you mentioned she had a job in the NHL working for the Devils for, I think for three or four years which, you know, to her credit is very impressive. The fact that, you know, she is as young as she is and she's already had previous experience working for an NHL club. Then, obviously, you factor in the fact that, you know, she's a woman and, you know, she's bra- she's breaking some of the diversity issues that the NHL has had 
for years and years now. Yeah, I, I don't know much about her resume or the person. I know there was another podcast, uh, Connect Podcast. I think it was the Point Shop Podcast. She jumped on. I think it was roughly a year ago. And, you know, she she was throwing some shade towards the Canucks at that time. I mean, let's call a spade a spade. But to be fair, you know, there was a lot of criticism that was deserved. Um, there was also some speculative stuff that was being said. I'm not going to repeat that. I'm sure most people know what was said. But by all accounts, she's a very smart, bright, intelligent person. And, you know, I think seeing a person of her ilk being hired for the Canucks analytic department is good. And she's now part of the team, you know, and hopefully we'll start to, you know, reap some of the rewards of her forward-thinking, analytical approach to scouting players. It's good to see the team putting some more effort and people into the analytics department. That's really where a lot of this game is going. And it's it's not something that you rely on for everything, but it, when you need information or you need things to back up the eye test, this is where you go. Um, I think, again, she has been very critical of the Canucks in the past, but... That's not really a bad thing, in my opinion. I mean, you know, it's it's if you have I mean, if we were to just bring in more yes people and more people doing the same thing all the time, you're, you're not really going to get any better. It's uh, this is the idea that Rutherford has had is to bring in different voices and different people and different backgrounds. And she certainly fits that bill. So I think this is a good addition to the Canucks overall. I don't know a lot about her. I know there are some fans who are like, well, she said a lot of things about the Canucks in the past. I'm like, yeah, well. Really, who hasn't? I've said a lot of things about the Canucks in the past, too. Yeah, look, I get it. Like, people are protective of their teams and their fandom and all that stuff. And she's part of the team now. Um, I don't think she would be hired if she wasn't an asset and she wasn't bright and intelligent and smart and good at her job and will help this team in the future. And, yeah, I mean, right now I just sit back. I'm glad to see the Canucks making diverse hires like Rachel, and I hope there are more diverse hires to come with this organization. She's 25. I mean, geez, what was I doing at 25? 25, actually, going back to the start of the episode. I think I was in Australia then, just not doing a heck of a lot. 25, and she's already with her second NHL team, uh, as well as working with the Sudbury Wolves. I think that's that's pretty impressive. Yeah, like I said, like I think she was hired working with the Devils when she was like, 20 or 21 years old she was really young and she worked there for what three four years i believe maybe it was three years so i mean that's extremely impressive that she got hired that young to work for an nhl club i mean that generally just doesn't happen unless you're like the owner's son i'm still waiting for the oilers owner daryl cates to give his son a job in management because the kid's been on the draft floor with them every year um, going back to when they were drafted Hall and um, who was the Russian guy that was a total bust? I forget his Yakupov. name. Yakupov, first overall. So I'm waiting for uh, whatever Daryl Cates' son's name is to, to end up becoming like pro amateur scout. Or It's kind of like uh, reminds me of a uh, – have you seen the Crime and Penalties uh, documentary on Netflix? Uh, I don't think so. Uh, it's, the, it's the one about – I, I can't believe you haven't seen this yet, but it's the one about with the mafia ties with the guy who basically buys his son. Oh, yes, hockey yes, team. yes. I have. I have seen that. Yeah, uh, that's uh, that's uh, it's well worth a watch. It's, it's the trashers. Has, yeah, that's the one it was with all the goons on there. But uh, yeah. yes, I, I know what you're saying uh, as well. Um, yeah, I think, again, this is look more voices. We've been saying this for a long time uh, that the Canucks had had a very insular, closed, small organization, and they weren't very good about communicating to the fan base what was going on or what the vision was, because it seemed like the vision, and I still stand by this, is that ownership's vision was we needed to get into the playoffs every year, and that obviously wasn't working. Uh, into the eight years in Benning, what was it, like one and a half playoff appearances, you know, counting the bubble year? in there it wasn't working like that and the team needed to get more voices and they need to get bigger and it look rachel's not the only one in the analytic department there's she's one of four people over there including ryan beach in there so it's again though it's more voices and more people coming on board um but in uh at least in the canucks twitter sphere this is someone who's always been uh a vocal 
person in in against kind of the way that Jim Benning was doing things. So again, hey, you know, this kind of shows that bringing in people like this, we're not necessarily or we shouldn't be going down the path that we spent eight years doing. No, absolutely not. And I and again, you know, even you know some of the criticism she was throwing towards the Canucks organization and the way Benning and the previous management regime was handling things. At the end of the day, she wouldn't have gotten hired for this job if she wasn't qualified and she wasn't the best candidate for the job. And I think Jim Rutherford interviewed, he seems like he's a very detailed, orientated person and he probably had a number of candidates he has been interviewing or talking to over the course of the last several weeks or month. And Rachel rose to the top and they went ahead and hired her today and good for her. And hopefully that's good for the Canucks organization moving forward. Also with Rutherford right now, uh, says he's narrowing down his GM search. He says he's got five people still in the mix for it. So he is taking his time with this. Um, And we should hear something in the next little while. Uh, So that's something else to keep an eye on right now. Yeah, I think one of the quotes I saw was they expect to have their GM hired and announced within the first week of February. So what's tomorrow? I think tomorrow's the 21st. So we're about, you know, roughly 12 to 14 days away from that actually coming to fruition. But it'll be interesting. You know, I think with the trade deadline coming up at the end of February, beginning of March, I mean, I'm, I actually got, haven't seen when the trade deadline is. I know it's usually around my birthday. My birthday is usually, well, not usually, my birthday is the end of February. And that's generally when the trade deadline is. So I would assume they want to get a GM in place prior to the trade deadline. Well, the trade line deadline this year, remember, because uh, that's the Olympic break is February. The trade deadline this year is March 21st. So there is... Oh, uh, wow. You got two more months because there's that three-week pause. So everything is kind of three week back, three weeks back. Of course, it's not a pause anymore. It's now used to fill up uh, the entire break that is no longer happening for the Olympics. So the trade deadline is March 21st. So you, there will be a bit of time. And the Canucks definitely have some decisions to make uh, I know we've talked before about it but geez I mean JT Miller's name keeps popping up and I still have a couple of minds of what to do about Miller right now I mean because I do think uh, he's he's our best forward at the moment but I mean also you talk about being able to capitalize on some assets right now this is peak Miller return right now well, especially since any team that's trading for Miller services this year will also have him under contract next year. So it's not a straight rental, right? You're getting him for a playoff push this year, and then you have, an, in theory, him for an entire season next year. Uh, one of the teams that I heard is very interested in Miller is his former club, the New York Rangers. I believe the Rangers are the team that drafted him. Um, but apparently they've shown quite a bit of interest in the rumor speculations out there that the Rangers are one of the teams that have been calling, sniffing around, uh, trying to see what the availability is on JT Miller services. Um, I mean, there's a number of players I would like back in a trade from the Rangers, whether or not they would be part of the package. It, who knows? I mean, Keandre Miller is a guy I would love to see in the Canucks uniform. Only issue is I believe he plays the left side on the D. And again, that is still kind of stacked for the Canucks at the moment. Um, but then even you have uh, guys who I don't know if they're complete busts yet, or, you know, maybe they just still are taking some time to find their gear. But you have a guy like Capocaco who was drafted second overall a few years ago and it was a highly touted prospect. But for whatever reason, he hasn't been able to put it all together at the NHL level. And then you also have Alexis Lafreniere who you know, he's kind of still struggling, you know, he's a first overall pick. And again, I doubt the Rangers are willing to give up on him just yet. But he's another guy that, you know, is still struggling. Uh, One of the other names from the Rangers that I really like, who I would want is maybe a Philip Cheadle or Cheadle. Uh, He's a guy that I really like that's on the Rangers currently. Uh, Maybe you could get him and a draft pick or two if you were to trade JT Miller to the Rangers. But yeah, Pete, I agree with you. There is a lot of decisions right now for the Canucks. And I think you and I kind of broke it down on the last episode. What's the best thing to do? Is the best thing to analyze who you're going to get the greatest return for and who's going to cost you the most money to re-sign. You're going to get a better return for Miller and it's going to cost you more in theory to re-sign Miller than it would Bo Horvat. I think... 
if you have to make the decision between the two, you have to trade JT Miller. As tough as it is for me to say, because he's been our best forward since he's joined the team, it just the logic to me says he's the guy that has to be moved. Well, with the Rangers, I don't think you're going to get a Kako or Lafreniere in the deal, but if you could go after some of their right side D, they got Braden Schneider, who uh, who's up with the team right now, and then there's also Niels Lundqvist, and those are two right side Ds that I think the Canucks would be interested in going after. Yeah, the Miller one is, this is a tough one, and I do think if the Canucks are unable to get any sort of extension, it's something that you got to look at. Uh, I don't want to do that. I really like JT Miller, but... The thing that's kind of against him at the moment is that he is a couple years older than the rest of the core. And if you're talking about building towards a cup contender, Miller is going to fall outside of that window here fairly shortly. He's 28 at the moment. He's got the rest of this season and all of next season under contract, and then he's a UFA. That makes him 29 or 30 years old at the UFA. That's not going to be someone that you're going to bring back. It's going to be hard to get him on a decent team-friendly deal, and I'm not sure if that's even necessarily something you want to do, depending on what he could command. So it's a it's a tricky one, but the more I've thought about it the last little while, the more I've become open to the idea of doing it. I also don't think anyone is untradeable, right? Like, I mean, it, I, I don't I, I don't know. I don't think any offer is untradeable. If there is some, I'm sure there's an offer out there that came along and the Canucks would be like, okay, yeah, we trade you Quinn Hughes. Uh, like I don't think there's any anyone that's completely untradeable. I mean, Gretzky got traded, right? Thatcher Demko. Again, like it, there could be a deal that comes along that now you're just like, man, we never thought we would do this, but all right, you know, here's let let's do it. I mean, you you never you never know. I don't think you can ever rule out a trade and JT Miller is certainly not on on those guys levels I think you know Hughes and Demko are probably the two that'd be hardest to trade uh for Rutherford at the moment but the Miller and Horvat thing I mean it's it's getting interesting because one year left on each of them RFA or sorry UFA Brock is RFA uh it's going to be really interesting to see what Rutherford decides uh, are his core pieces here and who he wants to build around and then who he wants to ship out I mean these are all Benning's guys, right? Maybe Rutherford sees them differently. Yeah, I mean, I think Besser could also potentially be the odd man out because you get more versatility with Horvat and Miller in your lineup than you do with Besser. I like Besser. He's, he's a great goal scorer. I've mentioned it before. You know, he's one of my favorite Canucks. I think Quinn Hughes has overtaken him as my current favorite Canuck, but it's still very close. But Besser's very one-dimensional, right? And he does that one thing when he's on. He does it very, very well. But he's extremely one-dimensional where Miller and Horvat, they can play up and down in the lineup. They can play center. You know, they can play wing if you need. I mean, Horvat's generally always in the middle. But, you know, you could play him on the wing. You know, at times he's playing the wing on the power play. Um, Miller can play wing. He can play center as well. So I think that versatility does potentially give both of them a little bit more value overall. I guess the question is the age factor. And you brought that up, Pete. You know, the fact that Miller is a couple of years older than the majority of the core. I mean, two years isn't a huge deal. But also look at the last time the Canucks splashed big time free agent money on a 30-year-old forward how that turned out for the Canucks, right? With uh, Louis Erickson. So I think that's also playing in the lo- a lot of the Canuck, Canuck fans' back of their minds is guys, when they're 30 and they're UFA, there is a big risk, especially when you're trying to sign them to a long-term deal. And I don't see Miller giving the Canucks a hometown discount because I think, you know, this is his opportunity to really cash in um, one last time in his career. And I'm sure someone's going to come over the top with a big deal if he hits the open market that the Canucks just wouldn't go near. I mean, he's on a 5.25 right now, and I'm sure he's going to get a raise from that even at his age. The thing that makes Brock so interesting is that his qualifying offer is 7.5. Now, he doesn't have to sign that qualifying offer or take it, and that doesn't mean that his next contract is going to be a guaranteed cap hit of 7.5. He could sign a different deal before that. Um, but for me, 7.5 right now, that is that is a steep one to, to put next to Brock Besser at the moment. He's at 5.875 right now, um, and he will get a bump on that for sure. But, I mean, where would be – what sort of deal do you think would work for the Canucks to, to re-sign Brock Besser? 
Well, here's a question for you, Pete, and maybe you're more versed in this than I am. With qualifying offers, do the team and the player both have to agree to it? What happens if one party agrees? A qualifying offer is just that. It's not an agreement. It's an offer. It's just something that the club has to tender to the player by a certain date. Otherwise, they become a UFA. If the Canucks don't tender him the offer by whatever date it is, then Brock Besser becomes a UFA. So if the Canucks and Besser haven't reached an agreement by said date, the Canucks have to offer him a one-year $7.5 million deal. He doesn't have to take that. But as long as they've offered that, it protects the Canucks and gives them rights. So worst case, or maybe best case, uh, but probably worst case, is that Besser would say, okay, yeah, I'll take that one year 7.5. And then I believe after that he would be UFA. Um, But obviously that's not necessary. That's not the team's best interest, at least. For Besser, it's not the end of the world. He could say, yeah, I'll take that. A one-year 7.5, and then you could be staring at a situation where Besser, Horvat, and Miller are all UFA coming up uh, the same year. So that that could further murky the water. But so it's there's nothing. It, it is more of a papering. I'm sure Besser is looking for a bigger payday, and if he wants to stay here, uh, he's going to get. He still has that opportunity to get a big payday here in Vancouver, get that extra year on there if he wanted to, and make a lot of money and hang out here until his 30s. But if he's not sure. Doesn't you know? Doesn't necessarily want to be here. He's got options. He could flat out just reject that one year seven point five, uh, which a lot of qualifying offers are rejected. But he's still property of the Canucks that way. And then you go into the the process of trying to actually build a deal. And the, there's no minimum with that of it having to be a seven and a half million dollar deal. Okay. Yeah. I mean, going back to your original question then, I mean, I think he's at 5.75 now, give right. or take. Close. Five, five point eight seven five. Okay. 5.875. I mean, I would think six and a half would probably, if you can get him for six and a half or like a three or four year deal, I think that's a win for the Canucks. I think, you know, if you're paying $7 million for him, you know, which is essentially what his qualifying offer is, and you're adding three years to that, uh, that's... It's kind of tough. Like, I, again, I love Besser. I think he, I, I do like what he brings to the table as a player. But I do worry that, you know, once you get seven plus, I think it really limits certain things you're going to be able to do moving forward. That being said, look, I know COVID's still a thing. I mean, we're going to talk about that a little bit later, unfortunately, still. Um, stadiums, a lot of stadiums are at half capacity. Uh, the Canucks haven't played home game in, what, over a month now, I think. It's been well over a month or close to a full month the Canucks haven't played a home game. Oh, it's over a month. Um, it's December 14th was the last home game. There you go. So literally a month and a week, essentially, it's been since the Canucks have played a home game. And so obviously the financials of the league are still taking a hit. So I know they said originally they thought the salary cap was going to go up, but that's still an issue. So signing a guy like Hor- or Besser to anything above... long term I'm a little bit worried about see I'd be okay I even think right now like six and a half might be a little bit high you know I'm thinking more like six and a quarter uh would but you know if it went up to six and a half I do think six and a half is kind of the uh furthest north point that you want on a guy like Brock Besser but this is it's really going to be interesting to see how Rutherford decides to navigate this. I mean, Petey's locked up for a couple of years. Garland's locked up for a couple of years. So, you know, you don't, those are kind of your only real pieces that are consistently in your top six right now that you have locked up for the next couple of years after this one. Um, Because really, you know, you got Besser, Horvat, and Miller, who we've talked about. And the sixth spot, kind of argue about who the number six is right now. Is it Hoglander? Is it Pearson? Is it uh, is it Pod Colson? And yeah, you got Hoglander and, and uh, Pod Colson under contract on entry-level deals as well. But hey, guess what? That same year that Horvat and Miller are UFA, Hoglander's an RFA. So there's another guy that you got uh, in the whole equation as well and, and got to figure out too. So there's uh, there's a lot of things coming down the line that the, I think the Canucks are going to have to look at there. And I know the JT Miller trade thing just keeps going around, as does the the Tyler Mott trade trade rumors but hey what do you think though about i mean i think most canucks fans and i've tweeted about this a couple times but i think most canucks fans right now are pretty happy with the look of that fourth line for for the team right now eh yeah i agree i think mott 
Lamico and Highmore have been playing very well. Um, I don't know what it is with Highmore, but I swear every game that guy plays, people are just like smashing him. I don't know, like he's taking a high stick, he's getting the puck in the face, he's getting hit from behind, cross-checked. I don't know what it is with that guy. He almost seems like he's like a crash test dummy or something like that. But I just feel like he's always getting like blowing up on the ice. But he's played well. Lamico's, I think, improved quite drastically in the last month or so since Boudreaux's taken over. I've really liked Lamico's game. And I think Mott, obviously, I mean, he's kind of the engine that stirs that line, right? He's the guy that gets that line going. And he was injured for almost, you know, the first two, two and a half months of the season. Now he's back. He's playing regularly. You can tell he's getting back into game speed, game shape, and he's really starting to stir the drink, as the kids would say, on that line. I I've always liked Tyler Mott, as you know. Uh, Lamico, I, I didn't mind uh, la- the acquisition of Lamico uh, when he came in. I didn't know a lot about him, but from what I had seen, I was like, you know, this guy could fill a role. The Highmore trade, as you know, I was never a big fan of uh, when, and I'm still not necessarily a fan of it. But it's nice that we're actually starting to see what Highmore is capable of. I mean, all three of these guys came over in trades made by. Jim Benning and I mean it's the Tyler Mott one we certainly won the other two trades were well the jury's still out on them and will be out for a while but there is definitely this resurgence under Boudreaux and a fourth line that is playing a role and getting regular ice time out of it this is also something that we've had a problem with is fourth lines not getting used in the past by previous coaches and this goes back uh, quite a ways but it's nice to actually see the fourth line getting used, getting used in special teams. Hey, they even got some second unit power play time the other night. That was nice to see. They've earned it. And yeah, it's not a lot, but hey, it's it's something. They're getting rewarded for their efforts. But this fourth line, I think, has been, um, has been a very pleasant surprise over the last couple of weeks. And there were a few games there where they were the ones doing all the scoring as well. It's nice to see that, at least for some of the games to finish out the road trip here, that the big boys are back. But the fourth line was carrying the offense for a couple games there too yeah and i think that just built is building their confidence right and i agree like i really like that boudreaux as a reward put them out there for the second unit power play and again it was what 20 maybe 35 seconds worth of power play time but just the fact that they got to go out there and they got to try to see what they could do as far as generate offense while having a man advantage i think that's good that shows confidence and that shows that if you play hard and you play well you will be rewarded and i think that's something that coaches and players really need one another right if i work my butt off and i play well you know my coach recognizes that i'm playing well and he'll reward me with that more ice time power play time penalty killing time whatever it is and i think that really motivates your players and that's what makes your players you know run through walls to to help your team win is the fact that you know they know that if they play their hearts out you recognize it you notice it and you'll reward them heart of a lion that's what boudreaux called the team on this road trip Uh, he's given the team high praise and yeah the first game against florida was certainly a rusty one and now looking at the calendar hey we got florida again and lucky for florida it looks like geez we're gonna have a whole bunch of guys possibly out of the lineup for this game eh? like i'm looking down there at we saw miller and demko go into covid protocol today to join garland and horvat among others it's like oh geez this is uh this is looking ugly. And with uh, Halak still in protocol, too, we could have a Martin DiPietro goaltending tandem against the Florida Panthers coming up here. I mean, it's looking like we will have a Martin DiPietro tandem against the uh, Florida Panthers. Yeah, I mean, it's it's it seems like it's pretty brutal right now, right? I mean, Horvat going down, Garland. We didn't mention it in the Canucks flight, but I believe it was the... Was it the Carolina game? Or... Uh, it was one of the games anyways, Garland tested positive, went into protocol, so he missed that game, uh, and he subsequently missed the next uh, two games. Um, now Miller goes down, Demko goes down, which is huge. Like I think that one is really you know going to hurt the Canucks here. And Florida, I mean, Florida is one of the best teams in the league right now. The Panthers are playing out of their minds, and guys like Huberto or Barkov are you know, playing at an absolutely elite level. Uh, the Canucks are going to be hard-pressed to get come away with a point tomorrow night if they don't have Halak 
or uh, and obviously they're not going to have Demko. Um, but if Halak can't even start, I, I think they're going to be hard pressed to come away with any point from them. And again, you're you're missing Miller and Horvat, who are your top two goal scorers on the team. Garland, I believe, is what fourth probably now on the team in points. Uh, I, I would assume it's Miller, Hughes, Horvat, and Garland. I could no, be wrong. Garland, Garland's got one more than Horvat. Garland's still third. Okay. Okay, but Miller and Horvat are your leading goal scorers. So you got your top two goal scorers out. You got your top three point getters out or your top four point getters. Three of your top four point getters, I'd assume, are out. Um, Yeah, man. And to be fair, a lot of teams are dealing with this all across the league, right? It's not just the Canucks, but it just seems to have really snowballed these last, you know, week or so. So after the uh, Panthers beat the Canucks 5-2, they went on to beat the Stars 7-1 and the Blue Jackets 9-2, both games at home, and then have head out on the road and they lose in Calgary 5-1. The thing that does help the Canucks is the, the Oilers are playing the Panthers tonight in Edmonton, and then they're going to travel here, so they're going to switch time zones again. There's a lot of the times when those Eastern Conference teams that spend a lot of time in their own time zone, when they come west, they do have trouble. And yeah, okay, it'll be the third game, so they'll have a little bit of time, but they lost 5-1 to the Calgary Flames uh, on Tuesday, and now uh, they got the Oilers as well. So hopefully the Alberta teams can keep licking them a little bit and they can come in tired tomorrow night because we're going to need all the help we can get here. Yeah, yeah, I agree. I mean, hopefully, you know, the taxi squad, which is still kind of decimated with uh, COVID protocols and outbreaks, will be able to come up big for the Canucks here. But it's it's going to be a tough stretch of games here for the Canucks. And, you know, they should be able to get through it all. Uh, I guess the thing that really sucks is if you have players that are going in a protocol in the U.S. instead of Canada, you know, there's a bit of weird border stuff and them being able to cross the border. So that's a little bit concerning as well. But hopefully, you know, this is just a another hurdle for this team to overcome and they'll be able to, you know, figure it out and get two points. And really, there's no easy part in the schedule. I mean, uh, you got Florida, then you got St. Louis, you got Edmonton, then you're on the road, Winnipeg, Calgary, Chicago to close out the month. I mean, there's no gimmies in the NHL. They're, they're all tough games. And the Canucks just went through... What they call you know the road trip from hell. It was a that was a brutal road trip, and uh, so I mean there's there's no such thing as an easy break. I mean the February schedule looks a bit more decent. I mean they're they're at home a lot more, and like I said, there's uh, just some kind of pleasant gaps. We'll finally have the Kraken come to town next month. They still haven't actually come to Vancouver yet, but yeah, there's no actually easy parts of the schedule but yeah losing three of your top four point scorers goal scorers and your all-star goalie uh going up against anyone it's going to be tough so uh, gonna have to to dig deep on that one hey one guy who doesn't have covid and uh seems to be back in the lineup and playing well i mean i say that tongue-in-cheek because he's always been in the lineup is elias Pettersson, and we haven't talked enough about him and uh he seems to have been finding his game i know when we did our last episode we're saying you know he's he's strong on the boards he's the effort is there it's just he's still kind of overthinking things and he seems to be and he's still overthinking things a little bit i noticed it against nashville a little bit he's still there's a couple of double clutches here and there but three goals over his last two games he seems to be getting it seems to be figuring it out and he's got that monkey off his back yeah, you're right, Pete. Uh, Petey has definitely kind of turned a corner. I mean, again, it's only a couple of games, but that two-goal effort and then he scored a goal the last game as well. He looks he looks a lot better out there. He's quicker to the puck. He's winning those puck battles, which he hadn't been winning earlier in the season. The one thing I will say, and again, I don't read the, into this too much, but he still doesn't seem to have that joy and he's always kind of been that silent assassin, but like when he scores a goal, you don't really see that excitement coming out of him. You know what I mean? When he's like really happy and like pumped that he scored a goal. And I thought, you know, that two goal game he would have had, you would have seen a little bit of more emotion coming out of him. I mean, again, I know he's always, you know, people have joked around that, you know, he's like kind of like a robot or something like that because he's very emotionless at times, very dry, but yeah, I, 
I thought you would see a little bit more emotion out of him after he had that two-goal game, but uh, hey, he looks like he's turning a corner, and if this team's going to be successful and be trying to be to make a push for the playoffs, they need PD performing and producing at the clip that we all know he can. I don't know if he's going to see feel joy yet. I think it's more relief than anything else. But I think he also knows the level that he can play at and the level he needs to be playing at and w- wants to play at. And I think maybe once he's there, you'll see that a bit more. I mean, yeah, he's got three goals in his last two games, but he was pointless in the four before that. And he hadn't scored a goal since the last Canucks home game against Columbus. So, I mean... There's still work to be done with PD, but the last couple games in particular, he seems to be willing to at least shoot the puck and try things more. And I did notice as well in the games before that, that he was playing in the dirty areas. He was going to the puck more, but still see that he's kind of double clutching, second guessing himself a little bit still. So I want to see how he can roll with this momentum. And I think if he can carry it, I think then you're going to see some of that joy. But again, Swedish players, they don't do that a lot. No, I mean, that's fair. Uh, they generally do keep their emotions in check. What do you think of the Pod Coles and PD Hoglander line overall? Because, I mean, I think they've looked really good. I know Garland, Pod Coles, and PD were playing together before Garland ended up in protocol, and they were looking okay, but there really seems to be a bit of chemistry with Hoglander, PD, and Pods. What are your thoughts on that line, Pete? Well, it's about, it's about time, really. I think they had some time earlier in the year with it as well, but I've always liked the idea of Hoglander and, and Petey playing together. I think that's something that could really blossom. Um, and Pod Colson has the tools to be the right fit on that wing as well. So I think there is a lot of potential there. It is obviously a, a little bit trickier when you put a, a rookie and a sophomore out there, and uh, it, it makes it you know a little bit tougher. I mean, that's a young line out there, uh, which is why I liked Garland out there uh, as well. But this line has potential to be a line that Canucks fans see for quite a while. And again, you talk about guys that are locked up and under contract. Uh, these three guys are going to be Canucks property for a while. So I do think there is a little bit of a looking to the future with that, and there's a lot that this line could grow into. Uh, I like it. I'm just... I don't know if it's quite the right time for it, but if, hey, if it's working, I'm all for it. I do think, and, you know, maybe we can go back and check the tape, but I do believe heading into the season, Pete, when we were kind of projecting the lines, I, I remember you saying that you actually wanted the lot of lines separated and you want Hoglander playing with Petey and Besser, I believe, was one of the lines you were predicting or you were kind of theorizing or crafting in your mind that could be successful because we were trying to have those a top nine instead of the top six. And yeah, I mean, I I think it makes sense. You know, PD is signed for the next three years. You've got Hoglander under team control and you've got Pod Colson under team control. If they can build chemistry, I mean, they could be, you know, a dynamic line moving forward. I think they've kind of got a little bit of everything, right? They don't have maybe that pure natural goal scorer. I mean, PD is a goal scorer, but you know, they don't have like that true sniper, I would say, but they have a really skilled, crafty winger in Hoglander. You've got a, you know, a bruising power forward that can win puck battles and is actually got a very underrated playmaking game in Pod Colson. And then obviously you've got PD and we all know who he is. It's gl- I'm glad to see that he's producing. I'm glad to see that he looks like he's turning a corner and hopefully we'll see more of that moving forward. I mean, Hoglander and Pod Colson both have the Cy Young stats right now. And going back to the start of the year, I think when I drew up my original lines, I did have the Lotto line together. I had Horvat centering Garland and Hoglander, and I had Dickinson centering Pod Colson and Pearson. And that was kind of how I envisioned it to to start. But I know one of the lines I was musing about certainly was was Petey with those other guys. But um, I, I do think that obviously the season Petey's had, I don't think we all uh, kind of expected it to go this way. But again, a couple games, turning it around. It's going to be interesting to see how he fares down this stretch coming home as well and just what momentum he can ride. But hey, if any line is working, it's great. But um, what's going to happen if tomorrow again with Florida, if we don't have Miller, Horvat, or Garland in there, I mean, geez, uh, the lines could be an absolute mess again tomorrow. Well, and then Demko, who's pretty much been the saving grace of this team and easily this the Canucks MVP this year he's likely not playing unless you know he can I think I don't know what the exact protocols are in the NHL I know I think in the NFL 
they test you. I think you have to have two negative tests after you've tested positive to see if it was a false positive or not. Um, but I think it's like a 99.9% chance that Demko's not playing tomorrow night either. It's going to be it's going to be a long night. It looks like for the Canucks against the Panthers tomorrow. Well, opportunities, right? Next next man up, and if uh, we get to see Spencer Martin or Mikey DiPietro in net, hey, well, that's uh, that's something different. It's going to be tough, but uh, next man up, no excuses. Bruce Boudreau doesn't give excuses, and uh, neither should the Canucks. Doug, why don't we take this into the free pour? It's that time of the episode for the free pour open floor segment. And I wanted to talk about a show on Netflix, and I believe you've watched it before, Pete. I, I swear you've mentioned it to me before, and it's 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 been around for a few years now, and I finally kind of watched a couple episodes. But it's Mind of a Chef, which is a great series on Netflix, and I specifically want to talk about the Ivan Orkin one, which is about a white Jewish guy from New York who moves to Japan and opens up a ramen shop, and blows the Japanese food critics out of the water and the Japanese people out of the water with the ramen and he's doing some really cool interesting things with his ramen eventually he's moved back to and I believe he's in New York again now with his family and he's opened up a Ivan ramen in New York so if you're ever in New York I know if I ever get back to New York anytime here I'm definitely going to hit up Ivan ramen but uh, Ivan Orkin Check out his episode, Mind of a Chef, on Netflix. A very interesting story of a guy who went to Japan to study because he loved the culture, loved the food. One of his first jobs was working in a Japanese restaurant and then got into ramen. And when I say this guy got into ramen, I mean he got into ramen and uh, blew away a lot of like really established Japanese food critics in Japan with the ramen he was producing. Um, check it out, Mind of a Chef. It's on Netflix. I've eaten at Ivan Ramen before in, in Lower Manhattan. It's uh, it's good stuff. It was uh, it was a fun experience, and we ate there because of that show. Um, I just want to chat about a new album that came out that uh, I'm having trouble finding on vinyl in Vancouver, but I'm on a couple of, of wait lists for it. Um, it's the new album by Bonobo called Fragments, and uh, I've been waiting for this for a little while. Um, and right away, as soon as I, I put it on in my iTunes, I noticed that, hey, the album cover moves. I kind of like that. It's kind of a, something I'm sure we're going to see more. But uh, it, it holds up. It is very good. It's got that very bonobo-y feel to it. It's got a, a, a real kind of rhythm to it, though. It's, uh, it's, it's always like, you know, it's kind of dancey, kind of chill. It's always like it's classic bonobo. But this one holds up as well as his other albums it starts off really strong i know uh, shadows and rosewood are right near the start of the album are two of my favorites initially um but i'm waiting to grab a copy of it because nobody seems to have it and i'm going to try and support a local record store instead of ordering it online but i'm only going to give it another couple of weeks because this is one i got to have in my con- collection and also coming up i'm going to get to see bonobo hopefully in may when uh, he comes to town so anyways uh Fragments by Bonobo, the new album. Uh, give it a listen. Thanks for tuning in, folks. Episode 101, just about in the books. And, uh, you know, it was, it, it's been a strange time talking Canucks. Is uh, The days and the weeks all kind of blur together, and the team hasn't played here for so long, and we're never quite sure of the schedule and games at weird times and COVID and everything else. It's... It's been a weird season, but uh, we're uh, with the Florida game tomorrow and then the St. Louis game, assuming nothing weird happens. We're halfway through the season all of a sudden. Yeah, it's weird. I was actually thinking this the other day. It's almost felt like two separate seasons, right? There was the season when Travis Green and Jim Benning were still hired, you know, hired and controlling the team. And then now there's this new season with Rutherford and Boudreaux. And it just, it's felt like two seasons. And especially with like some of the delays and postponements and games and how long it's been since the Canucks have actually played at home. Uh, it's It's been another weird covid year, unfortunately, but it's nice to see the team starting to win and starting to kind of come together. It's nice to see players like Pedersen producing and playing at that elite level that we all know he can. Hopefully the players that are now in protocol are going to be safe and, you know, they're not going to have any of these long-term long-hauler symptoms 
uh, like we're seeing with Brandon Sutter. And yeah, I mean, it's hard to believe we're only halfway through the season because it's it's felt like a long three, four months to me. Yeah, you, know, you mentioned Brandon Sutter, but this team as well, with, they plan on having Brandon Sutter and Travis Hamnick in the lineup this year. And then that hasn't happened at all either. It's uh, it's more what ifs with it, but it's uh, it's a strange year. It is also a mess for people who are doing uh, fantasy hockey. Oh yeah, dude, hey, fantasy hockey's been an absolute nightmare. How's uh, how's your pool doing? Uh, doing well. I am doing very well right now, so uh, I'm quite happy. What position that. are you in? Number oh, one. wow. Okay. So when you said you're doing well, you're actually doing amazing. I don't want to jinx anything, <laughs> though. Because <laughs> just like an hour ago, I was like, oh, look, Mark Stone's now in COVID. All right. So I don't want to jinx anything. Yeah, I, that's fair enough. It's Yeah, it's it's been one of those years. And I, I'm, I'm very superstitious when it comes to sports as well, so... It's, it's definitely strange times, and we saw that with uh, with football this year as well. Uh, you guys can follow us on Twitter. I'm at Pete underscore Gas, and do check out our playlist on Spotify, the Canucks Speakeasy Outro playlist. Give that a listen. Give me a follow on Twitter at Doug Venn. Be sure to follow the podcast on Twitter at Canucks Speak. As always, thanks for listening. Hasta luego.